0: What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on pop culture and pop culture folks is back. Just as uh, masks are coming off for those who are vaccinated, culture is returning because we have a big week this week. We have th- uh, three fairly big music projects and a couple other of, uh, you know, that we're not going to be talking about but big name bands or, or people dropping stuff. We have uh, some big pop culture news that dropped just before recording this morning um and we also have two movies that were uh i'd say pretty highly anticipated at least at one point um we'll we'll talk about if they lived up to the hype but i'm here with my co-host dave martin swagger dave
1: how you doing this weekend or how you doing today not this weekend doing well to both doing well (laughs) yeah concert venues losing capacity restrictions more tour dates getting announced movie theaters in the US continuing to open up I think things are uh things are happening whether they should or not uh, I think that, that part of the equation is uh no more it's happening yeah uh
0: covid is over at a lot of people at this point so um still be careful especially if you haven't had the opportunity or if it goes not to get vaccinated um but you know, Dave, with all this news about all these things happening, I don't know if anyone saw it coming, but today AT&T and uh, their Warner Media company merged with Discovery or purchased them, I guess, or
1: on a merger. Yeah, I guess sort, right? AT&T is selling off Warner Media, right. which is being merged with Discovery. Which is, yeah, unexpected development, to say the least. And why that's,
0: I don't know, I think important to us is the implications for HBO. Um, But, you know, people, I guess, also like Discovery Plus and are wondering what's going to happen with that. And, uh, you know, when I first saw this news, I actually didn't even think much about what this meant for HBO. But as we've been talking about a little bit and kind of thinking about it, seems like there might be some interesting implications. What interests you most about this merger?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think the obvious thing is there had been, you know, tons of talk just about AT&T's management of Warner Media. Like Warner Media was the uh, new name of Time Warner once AT&T merged after purchasing Time Warner about three years ago, which which in and of itself was a very long, protracted acquisition, you know, of, of telecoms. And in the process, of course, AT and T gets to own HBO, and a, but you know a bunch of other brands like uh, was it a uh, Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, TNT, CNN, you know uh, DC, of course, Warner Brothers Movie Studio, a lot of notable stuff. But along the way, it just seemed like the priorities of AT and T for Warner, I mean, they were kind of all over the place, right? And I guess that came to an head with hbo max which i mean to us as plugged in people we were very excited about from the jump because it was hbo for the same price as it always was except with lots of more things Mm -hmm. aka a no-brainer but to the average person it was poorly messaged and the confusing branding right Mm -hmm. but i mean since then you know hbo max has acquired more subscribers and uh seem to have found a footing Like they're beating their projections and then of course the uh warner brothers movie slate this entire year debuting simultaneously on HBO max which seems to have been a boom right remember a lot of people including us were critical of that decision in terms of how it affects movie theaters but you look and like mortal kombat godzilla vs kong tom and jerry just about the most successful movies of 2021. Most of them are Warner Brothers movies that you could have watched for free anyway. So funny how that goes. Um, But now, right, you have AT&T just getting getting out of the game. And HBO now, the thing we care about the most, is being run by people that make content first. You know, Discovery doesn't worry about uh, investing in their 5G networks to compete with Verizon and T-Mobile. They don't care about mm-hmm. that. They just care about getting you to subscribe by investing in their content. And we talked about how consolidation in the streaming wars is ine- inevitable, right? Like you can't have all these subscription services. Not all of them can sustain themselves. We saw how fast uh, that can happen with something like Quibi just going up in smoke before you know mm-hmm. you even had a chance to breathe. And I actually just like this call because as long as Casey Boys is still going to run the show at HBO. I'm happy to see that that you know, Warner Media, whatever they're gonna call it now, that, that HBO brand just get more stuff because while I'm not someone who really watches HGTV or Food Network, you know, home living network, stuff like that, you know that that that's a that's hours, hours on the TV, right? Yep. That, is, that that is innings innings pitched. That is bulk content. That and discover all those discovery brands are successful brands and i think this kind of consolidation actually makes sense for the continued success and future of both of these entities which are now one entity
0: yeah i think it makes a lot of sense and as you think about how a streaming service like hbo and you know even things like hulu which is a little different because it's under disney now but um how they can so i guess like disney plus how they can really compete in like this world moving forward is you need to have just that like mindless content that I talked about last week with things like the circle or uh, you know, like the stupid shows I I've watched on Netflix, like uh mortgage right. or marriage, you know, which is exactly what HGTV takes you. It's, it fills time. It's, you know, a time waster in a, in a lot of ways, also very entertaining stuff, which I get and I watch it too, but that's what a lot of
1: people want to watch. And so having that's that, why Netflix is making more and more of it.
0: Right. And that's why having it, as something maybe not under the hbo max subscription but something hbo can offer as at a lower subscription with like oh buy into hbo max for these other things that you might like is probably the way to go um and selfishly i want to see hbo continue to acquire these sorts of things because even if it's not what we would consider like hbo level content one i think that i trust their creators to add something to this content and maybe work with some of the other people on these networks to make interesting shows that that I may want to tune into. But the more that we they're getting subscribers, the more the money that they're making, we're gonna see better content. Because as much as Netflix has had some real hits, HBO is known for making that quality mm-hmm. content. We talk about HBO shows probably more than any other shows oh, on yeah. here because it's just the best. So in our opinion at least.
1: Yeah, um, no totally.
0: Yeah. Well, think, what else stands out to you about this?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think like negatively. It seems like Jason Kitar, who was running Warner Media, is going to be leaving the post, and this combined entity will be run by the CEO, who is currently running Discovery. I forget his yeah. name, but he is more like old school media, uh, cable kind of sort of things with the entertainment. Exec, when Kitar seemed to be much more, um, uh, you know, like new money, I guess. And Kitar yeah. was successful in turning around that HBO max launch after the initial issues with uh, at&t's management of warner media you know there's been a lot of leadership changes behind the scenes in the umbrella above hbo and now we get another one of those again but i you know i just think like long term you, you would think that having just content people be involved in this content game uh would benefit everyone again like i i, I there's no reason to expect casey boys to be gone so, and we know right. we know his stamp of quality, uh, you know, is still undefeated. So, um, and honestly, this kind of thing, you know, merge You know, we, we take away Warner Warner Media without AT and T's backing is is a smaller fish as far as the streaming wars are concerned. When you go up against Netflix, Amazon, and Apple, so now I think you know Discovery and Warner Media, maybe that this new entity is ripe to combine with somebody else down the line, like AMC, who we know is for sale. Or even maybe something bigger like CBS Viacom, because again we know consolidation will continue to happen. So having all these smaller fish actually unite to the, for the sake of their you know collective survival—pretty interesting, you know. Like I think that that's actually probably a more appealing thing to me than say Apple gobbling up something, you know, just because they can.
0: Totally, I, I would love that if uh, AMC was purchased by this group and fall, fall mm-hmm. uh, under that umbrella also just as a note it's a uh, david Zaslav, the C- ceo of discovery plus but right. um yeah uh i think this is exciting stuff something we'll be keeping our eye on um i'm looking forward to uh watching um love it or list it on my hbo max subscription <laughs> in the near future so uh we'll we'll do our review when that time comes any last thoughts on this dave or are you ready to do some music
1: Yeah, I'm ready. You know, I think this is another one of those things where it's like no one at the end of the day knows who the fuck owns Discovery Brands anyway, right? right? So I think to the average person, they're just going to be like, oh, that's on HBO Max now? Cool. Like that, the average person will have no idea
0: this has happened. I don't know how much Oprah is involved with the Oprah Winfrey Network at this point, but it's under Discovery+. Plus. It'd be really interesting if they would make some kind of like godfather offer for her to do like a talk show, like a monthly Mm. talk show or something like that. Interesting. I'd love to see it, but uh, let's move on to Georgia Smith, who we haven't really heard from since Lost and Found in 2018, uh, which was an album that I think we both really liked. We were very high on and felt like this is a person with a lot of potential. So to not hear from her in th- really in three years, I think she might have popped up once or twice on features.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, he said 2018 debut album, rapturously received had that in my top ten that year. But yeah, for the most part, she has not been around too much, apart from I think Be Honest, which was a loose single from two years ago featuring Burna Boy, which is which is a tremendous track. Other than that, she has not been around too much, which is, you know, she's only twenty three now, but you know, she was like a really fast riser, you would have thought uh that wouldn't have been the case. But, Mm -hmm. you know, here she is finally. I've really been anticipating something from her and it's being clearly messaged as a uh Holdover for the second album type of EP. This is very much uh, the leftovers sort of thing. But still happy to hear something, you know, because again, it's, it's been a long time.
0: No, I, I completely agree. And I, I think that this EP, Be Right Back, is exactly what you would expect from a holdover album, where it's like, or a holdover project. Bit hit or miss for me. I think there's a couple of tracks that really stand out and sound, uh, like they should be on an album and Georgia should be promoting those heavily. And then there's a couple that I'm like, Oh, well, you know, get these out and fill up the EP and, you know, get 25 minutes out of this
1: thing. How did you feel about be right back? Yeah, I felt the same way. And before I realized it was clearly being referred to as a holdover, I was disappointed. I was like, kind of struggling with this a little bit, you know, you think back to lost and found, you think back to even, the songs of hers that predated that from a few years, like uh, Blue Lights, which I think was the really first big track that she had out before all the Drake collabs really mm-hmm. put her on the map. And she has such like a vibrant voice and definitely felt like a unique presence in this really, you know, rising uh, popular, like experimental R and B genre that we have right now. And like, I think Georgia brings a lot of like soulful uh, touches to her, her R and B as well. And to this you know this she definitely sounded like like older to me like it's clear she is like a different person now but so i think some of those like middle tracks on the ep didn't stand out to me though like i like the like there's, there's something about her the early stuff was really like popped out to me like sonically mm-hmm. and this stuff didn't feel nearly as special and i was shocked that up to this being the holdover
0: did you feel like any of the tracks stood out to you because i i definitely feel like the first like
1: yeah. three i'd say addicted so, is a hit for me yeah addicted is really good and as well as gone those both happen to be lead singles i really like those mm-hmm. tracks i think towards the end uh weekends all right but mm-hmm. i think some of the middle tracks didn't do much
0: yeah i liked the uh the bass groove on burn that really stood out to me and of course I think it it goes without saying that Georgia sounds really good on these tracks, but I think the songs aren't as interesting in the middle. They kind of just fall flat, Um, but something like addicted, right? So you have this like really like worrying sped up bass loop that is just kind of driving the song and Georgia just singing urgently over it kind of gives this energy very actually, I think opposite of what, I remember from lost and found is like, it's this more like smooth laid back vibe on lost and found a lot. Yeah, And this felt a lot more urgent. So I felt like that was a real interesting track to start with and something that I'm really looking forward to. And then like bust down just a couple of tracks later with Shabo. Not only did I, I think that was a good pairing, I thought they both sounded really good on the track together, but it had, you know, a bit of like a reggae dance type yeah, vibe it to type. which I,
1: Afro beats kind of like yeah. the song with Burna. Yeah.
0: I thought that was, thought that was decent. Like I thought it worked and it'd be interesting to see what she does with a little bit more of that on a, an actual album instead of just kind of piecing these together. But yeah, with lost and found, you remember it being such a cohesive project and this definitely you can tell it's just kind of like, ah, we have these tracks. Let's just put them out and move on to the next thing.
1: Right. Yeah. But like I, I do I do give her credit. You know, she's taking her time. I mean, I I, saw, I wasn't totally sure if this was just conjecture or not, but I saw it saying twenty twenty two for that sophomore album. So again, that that'd be quite the wait. You know, that's a that's a four year gap. So uh, she's definitely taking her time and that's really cool. Someone else who's taking your time happens to you know, her fellow um uh, uh Englander of a similar genre bend LMI, same thing. Very mm-hmm. much anticipating new music from her as well. So happy to wait if it's good, obviously.
0: I have a feeling with uh especially people who have been holding over for this long, we'll be hearing from them very early next year, maybe even like late December, early January, because they want to be getting this out definitely before festival season starts. And right. I think the hype for like things like Coachella, berry is going to be like otherworldly. So a- Adele um, will
1: eventually release another album. We know one day. <laughs>
0: eventually uh it'll be like 43 at that point or whatever number she's on (laughs) but um let's move on to another female auteur saint vincent uh who is i think a figure in rock music that we've talked about and i think we're i think i definitely like her a little bit more than you do but i think we both kind of see her as just an excellent artist who the music's always quality, but do we always like it? I think is kind of, at least where I fall with it. Most of the time I do. But I think this is an interesting project because um St. Vincent is ever-changing and she continues to change on Daddy's Home. And Dave, did you like
1: the direction that St. Vincent went on this film? I definitely didn't dig it as much as I liked Mass Seduction from mm-hmm. 2017. And I think that's very easy to explain, because, as you said, she likes to develop and dive into whole new personas and branding for each album cycle, and that is often followed by different sounds and genres and stuff. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's very like like mid-1970s aesthetics, but yeah. you know it's not like she's like super like jamming out on the guitar. You know, like, like again, to me, I, I, I think you're right. Like, she, she's always a really interesting figure, and she manages to stay relevant even like between album cycles. Like, I think very vividly of her at the 2019 Grammys with Do Lipa just jamming out on guitar to One Kiss, and like as they both performed mm-hmm. that, obviously, as one that didn't have a guitar beforehand. And she seems to always be around. And in this case, there's obviously like, like a message going on here that the, the title track is, or the title of the album is very intentional due to her personal life, mm-hmm. but. I think just at the end of the day, like the sounds, this is not my favorite stuff. So like in Matt's adduction too, like there were some really songs I really enjoyed on that, like Pills, for example, I found like really accessible music. And in this case it's just, you know, it's a, uh, it's slower stuff. And yet the really, I think, get absorbed in the songwriting to, to appreciate it more than anything.
0: Yeah. You know, so we, we record on Mondays usually, um, which gives you, you know, three or four days to listen to an album. Uh, a lot of the time, I don't get to listen to the albums more than like once or twice, and I really feel like as I was listening to this album today, that this was the type of album that probably my like my fifth or sixth listen. I'm gonna like really love some of these tracks, but I think there's just it's so different. There's a lot of change here, and you know, just kind of doing a little bit more background here. <clears throat> she she produced most of this by herself. Um, there's a couple of tracks where Jack Ansoff pops up, which I'm not surprised at. I think especially
1: like the, the tracks.
0: Yeah, the, and the tracks that stand out here make sense that they're Jack Antonoff produced. Um, but that like 70s, kind of like, you know, peace and love type vibe, you know, you got some like guitars and yeah. uh, stuff like popping up in the background, very like whimsical at points. It definitely takes away from a little bit of the bite of St. Vincent and it's songs like Pay Your Way in Pain that I think are the comfort zone for me, because even though they start off with like a you know pay your way in pain starts off with a piano you know groove in the beginning, it quickly quickly moves into very max adduction, mass seduction mass seduction like hard guitars like popping out, and I think that's where I'm like oh yeah this is what I was looking for from Saint Vincent, but as i was listening to the rest of the songs, I was like oh these songs are still really really good and really really well put together. I just need to give them more time to sit so it's hard to like sit and be like ah i can't make my full review right now because that's not what i'm saying but i think it's just the type of thing that annie clark makes music that grows on you mass Seduction was an album i didn't love at first now i think it's probably one of the best albums of that year so um she's just that type of artist to me at least what what tracks stood out to you or what didn't you like
1: yeah i thought uh the first track pay your way with pain i like that just because like vocally like there's a kind of like a shriek to like parts of her voice on that and like that like made my ears perk up um she doesn't talk too much about like this the subject matter of the title too much but like it is interesting to hear like grapple with her dad returning to civilian life after being in prison for like financial crimes for a decade that's you know because again like if you really think about how annie clark Operates as an artist, she like really absorbs herself into these personas and she's not a personal person, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a lot of like storytelling and bravado. She's like very much not Taylor Swift, right? Like, she's not making music <laughs> about herself hardly yep. ever. And that's why I think like you will really have to be absorbed in that songwriting and that sound. And, this, and like I said, like this time, it's just like, like you said, it's like the, the whimsy, I think. um I think you have to really focus on it too. I thought my baby wants a baby. It's probably one of my favorite like songs from a writing perspective. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it, it definitely re- requires more lessons because it, I was a little taken aback by like how um different it was to mass seduction, which I shouldn't have been surprised by.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking so like when I first really got into St. Vincent with the Strangers, what back in like oh seven or oh eight, maybe I was oh nine even. Maybe I don't know, around then uh she's ever evolving and that album is very like you can hear the dna but it's so different from something like this so different from something like mass seduction she's just never evolving artist which is great and also challenging in some ways um you know kind of sticking with the songs that felt comfortable to me and i think that's why i liked them a little bit more at first was down um you know that's a very like plucky almost kind of like throbbing type song where it kind of like rises and falls very quickly and i think she sounds really clear on that and i agree my baby wants a baby i think from a songwriting perspective really like taught me um but yeah i think like the clear stand out to me is pay your way in pain which was one of the lead singles um you know a song like live in the dream is like i think where sometimes the album loses me on the, in the first couple of listens where i'm like you know i, I get she's going for this like whimsical type feel but it really just like felt like it dragged on a little bit mm-hmm. um but then it kind of follows up with the song like melting of the sun which i thought was um a, like a pretty a pretty solid track if not one that stood out like yeah, it's one of my favorite st vincent songs of all time but yeah I, I guess i'm trying to like reckon with it because i I didn't think it was a bad album. I just, I don't, I think I just need to sit with it longer. So um, let us know what you think. Sound off in the comments. Um, leave your, your opinions. We want to hear what you liked or didn't like about this, what worked, what didn't. We'll be adding a cracker or two to our Nostalgia Best of 2021. Davey, any last thoughts or you want to move on to our guy? Rankings number, what, three from us? Two from us? Three,
1: three, three.
0: J Cole dropping yeah. the off season sixth album. Um, Dave, we spoke a lot last week about J Cole, where he stands in the culture. Check out our rankings and our you know really like our deep dive on J Cole as an artist. Talked about the off season. We both kind of expected to expected expected it woo, to fall in the top mm. half of his rankings, maybe like a three potentially a two range gotta ask did this live up to your expectations
1: right again like i didn't really know exactly where it was going because we only had that interlude single just like a few mm-hmm. days prior so i was really just hoping like middle child would inform a lot of the sound of this because that uh, is really one of my favorite songs in terms of cole uniting uh you know meaningful lyrics while not sacrificing like grooves and you know banger qualities and that also happened to be his highest charting song to date so i think a lot of people agree with that um and you know i think actually since that song come out which we didn't talk about the rankings he did kind of have that uh kerfluffle with the uh snow in the bluff track where he was calling out no name the rapper's tactics regarding uh, her politics and then no name like really quickly fired back with song 33 and Cole took a lot of uh, grief for that, and I think rightfully so. So either way, I was just kind of expecting like how like, well, where is Cole's head at? How deep is he trying to get? As we spoke with the rankings, K.O.D. the last album conceptually, uh, you know, I think vast and really trying to f- focus in on a lyrical message. As Cole has kind of embraced his uh, old head uh, tendencies as he's into enters his late thirties. But uh, the off season, I, I, I enjoyed it. You know, I don't I don't think it's uh, 2014 Forest Hills Drive or Born Sinner Territory. Mm-hmm. No way. It's not approaching that stuff. But there's some good tracks on this. And I think Cole still sounds quite lively, which, you know, album six. So that's nice, nice quality, I guess.
0: Yeah. One of the things we talk about in uh, in our rankings and J. Cole review in general is just he's got a lot of stands. You know he's got a lot of people on the internet that really cape for him, and I think if you, at least from what I saw, if you were on Twitter on Friday and Saturday over over the weekend, you would have thought this might have been maybe one of the best albums ever dropped. I I wouldn't say that, but I definitely think this is a really solid album, and uh, I I think it falls pretty much exactly where we were expecting. You know, it's right around Kod for me. I think I need a couple more listens to like decide if it was above or below it. But I agree. it's on it's on par, and so. I think there's a very clear half of this album that I like a lot more than the other half. And that would be the first half. You know, I think it starts off really strong with 95 South. Um, I love my life with 21 Savage. Like, I mean, I just want to yes. hear them do more songs together. Yes. Um, you know, even things like uh punch at the clock, I thought hundred Mill is pretty good. There's a point, I think it might even be, I, I know people like the single interlude. I thought, I think it's okay. Not one of my favorite songs. But it's pretty it's a decent song, but the I thought the ending, like the climb back, blows hunger on the hillside. I didn't totally love. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, the album kind of peters out. I guess probably around like the eight or nine song mark. So that, but that first like you know half or so, I thought was pretty strong. How did you feel about like what what we got in terms of the track listings?
1: yeah a funny note too um this album goes on to streaming and there are no feature notes both like in the song titles nor like the tagging on spotify so like my i just said my life j cole right and no features trends again because that's how j cole stands like the operate and then people listen like oh fuck no no there's features on this it's been a few albums since he's actually had features funny enough um but yeah, I thought that was a funny note And now since uh, streaming has been updated and you'll see yeah. all the features uh, not <laughs> hidden. Which, if he had not made that change, I would have complained, of course, because like, no, don't hide that stuff. Give everyone their credit, please. But uh, that was a funny note to me. And like you said, My Life, 21 Savage, as well as Moray, uh, we touched on Moray's debut mixtape. Yeah, they're she- both... What a look. Yeah, but they're both from Fayetteville, so it makes sense. There you you go. gotta appreciate that kind of co-sign. And My Life, honestly, you get a lot of the same vibes you did as lot. Well from a uh, 21 Savage and Cole on, on a lot and mm-hmm. they actually make a really good pair. And I think they complement themselves well because 21 is really settled in as like a really like actually he's quite precise in his wordplay. And I think it just mixes really well with J Cole. I don't think it's as good as a lot. Like I think they're, if you actually listen to both of them, it's kind of redundant, but uh, still so awesome here. Of course. Um, not the biggest little baby guy still, but I think little baby is pretty good in "Pride Is the Devil." In general, like there, there's also like just an economy with how little baby seems to rap these days, um, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. And it's it is kind of funny like contrasting him and Cole because they both are trying to come about with a big, bigger message in their music. Little baby more recently, Cole of course the past few albums, and I, and I don't think either of them is as effective as. Artists think they are at that sort of thing, but either way, I thought it was a pretty good pairing. And yeah, 95 South that actually has the best guest spot on it because he has Cameron doing like introductions yeah. and like interludes and stuff. And honestly, Cameron's doing the show on, on it, to be honest. But call mm-hmm. also is, you know, just kind of spitting on that song. Like, I think that one goes hard. Uh, I really appreciated in verse one, look how everybody clapping when your 30s song album do a measly hundred thou. You like those shots at people stream chasing. Uh, funny to contrast that with the length of an album, like for your eyes only. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I've never like quotable. Is like I think that one is strong, right? But then you have the uh, the line about uh, on was it was the song uh, pressure, uh, applying pressure. You have that line about uh, if you're criticizing a millionaire when you're broke then the joke is on you or something like that and i was like kind of like why, why is cole like making fun of his fans who aren't rich people uh, that that felt kind of strange to me like what like since when would that have been his point of view right isn't that weird? untouchable
0: yeah it feels a bit like uh you know you don't you can't say anything because I'm more successful Classic.
1: than you. I don't, Classic. It's, it's, it's like the same thing as like, like you don't write rap, so you can't talk about it. You can listen to it and appreciate it, but you can't criticize it. It's the same kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Honestly, I I think my favorite track is Interlude though, which is funny to hear that you didn't like it. Interlude just reminds me of Middle Child. It, it's cool yeah. actually bringing in like more modern sounds. You know, like the melodic stuff is super uh, heavy these days, and I think he's doing it really well on that. And I, like, I guess I think it's really just because like I'm not like listening to this for like super deep lyrics from I him. And I think Cole actually kind of pulled back on that. You know, he's not actually mm-hmm. trying to get super deep. Like he'll touch on stuff here and there, but he 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 kind of think he kind of chilled with the off season, yeah. which I appreciate. I wouldn't say interlude is like you know the worst
0: song off the album. I just think, uh, you know, in in listening through, I guess maybe if I went back and listened to it again, it might pop off a little bit more. But I really just felt like. That first half you know especially like 95 south in my life were probably my two my top two and then I think by the end I just was feeling a little bit of like whole fatigue also chalk that up to the fact that you know I've listened to all of his albums in the past yeah. week or so so I might just be a little cold fatigue anyway um you know he he also got some big producers on this you know just kind of looking Timberland was on the mm-hmm. track of mari I don't know if there's anything necessarily there that like stood out. To me that's like a timberland production to that but um you know i, I was just kind of surprised to see that a lot of t-minus all over this
1: yeah um, he was behind middle child so i'm happy
0: to see right. that continue um but you know i i don't know i guess i like, guess i'm talking about it i don't know if i'm disappointed i don't know if i'm pleased i think i'm probably somewhere right in the middle where i'm like oh this is kind yeah. of what we thought it would be um but definitely uh you know it's good to see j cole not you know putting out another for your eyes only you know like yeah totally. keep
1: it at least kod quality enough from here on out yeah oh actually come to think of it there's also the other really notable line on uh, let go of my hand where he references an altercation with yeah. diddy from uh several years ago just that's kind of when i was like eyebrow raise mom was like huh did i hear that right i gotta rewind yeah. this real quick you know um so that was cool but yeah, yeah he went uh, good
0: he went in. He went in on that song and or uh, on that story, and then he also called himself out for. Uh, I don't know if it was actually a call out, but he talked about, um, you know, a couple of years back, that wrapped rap about folding clothes, but you know, women oh, still aren't doing that or something like that. I, for, I forgot what track it was on, but I it really perked up because I was like, he really is like referencing that song that we we clowned on pretty hard, and we you know, <laughs> kind of called ourselves on on our rankings. But
1: anything else about this album that stood out to you? Yeah, I think people are being a little hyperbolic on release day, but they that that tends to happen with with Jay Cole, as you said, that's no big deal. Um, really hope Certified Lover Boy comes out this year. I really hope Kendrick album comes out this year. I'd love to compare all three dropping at the same time. That'd be fun.
0: That would be great. And uh, you know, I th- I think we need to hear from Kendrick at this point. It's been it's been too long. Get the album out. Um, all right. Well, Dave, I, w- I want to do a quick little uh, thing here. We're moving on to some uh, some movies. I, you know, so let, let's just start with this. Like, I want to just tell you there's this movie that's coming out. Right. And it's, it's basically like rear window. But like a little more like psychological, like fuckery going on. Psychological thriller. It's going to be uh, a real like head turner you know you're gonna be like oh what's happening big mystery right and so that that sounds pretty interesting then what if i told you they got like a competent director like joe Wright to handle this you're probably like okay this is a good start Mm -hmm. and then what if i told you amy adams was gonna be cast as the lead (laughs) i mean award you know i mean award darling Has has she won she's won right
1: no, she has not won an Oscar. Yeah, that's why we're happy she's... she didn't win for Hillbilly Elegy. That <laughs> right, that's right. Ridiculous. She's, <laughs> she's been nominated a lot, though. <laughs> yes. um, Gary, Gary Oldman
0: is going to be in yeah. this. Anthony Mackie. Gary Oldman Wyatt coming Russell. off
1: his best actor winning turn in Jill Wright's last movie, Darkest Hour.
0: Wyatt Russell, a rising star, just played Captain America in uh, Falcon of the Winter Soldier. Brian yeah. Tyree Henry and Julianne Moore are just going to show up. For a second, same with Julian or uh, sorry, Jennifer Jason Lee, just kind of mm. like pop up and, you know, have some very small roles in this. Like, if I told you all this, you would be pretty excited for this movie, right? you think this is going to be really great. That's correct. And so, as we get the woman in the window, what happened? <laughs> um, what
1: happened indeed, man? I don't yeah. fucking know, dude. <laughs> it's, <laughs> this uh, tough. it's terrible. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's it's sitting at 20 percent, 27 percent on Rotten Tomatoes right now. We don't reference that a lot, but I think I think that feels right, <laughs> because it, while this wasn't the worst movie I've ever seen, I think there are some moments where I was like, OK, there's something. Um, when well, I remember seeing the previews for this for the first time and being like, this looks like it's going to be great. And it feels like something went very wrong here in production. I mean, they they were supposed to release this in twenty nineteen. After test screens, it got pushed back to uh, May 2020, and then with Mm -hmm. COVID, it got pushed back even further. Definitely, and then Netflix ended up buying it and releasing it this past weekend. So, there was obviously something in the creation that wasn't working. Maybe it was more confusing. Maybe it was something else, but... The Fox merger
1: also just slowed things down, too. Very much seemed to fall through the cracks in terms of movies Disney had inherited from Fox. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day tough to get too worked up about that happening because the rumors were true. It just had not come together. And, uh, yeah, kind of annoying. Cause it <laughs> honestly, I it's one, it's one of the movies that for me is dragged. I haven't watched them this dragged quite as much as this did. Like, honestly, I, I was pulling my hair out like 30 minutes in. like, it was, it was, it was tough watch. Yeah.
0: It was, it was just kind of, um, I don't, I don't I wouldn't say lifeless but it just felt uninteresting I guess like yeah. there was a lot of mystery but I, none of it that I really seemed to care too much about and it was almost like so much misdirection that you just kind of felt like I need to wait until something concrete actually feels like it's happening before I can actually like Buy into
1: this at all? I
0: don't know. At least that—that's where I was at. What What do you feel like didn't work for you the most?
1: Yeah. At the end of the day, it's just dull. Like the the conflict, as it were. Like you said, it's not just similar to Rear Window. She literally watches Rear Window a little bit in this movie, while turning out to follow the same key plot beats of the famous Hitchcock movie. It's like, huh? That couldn't be more on the nose. Mm-hmm. And that's not helping the movie. Be interesting. I just don't. There was like no forward momentum with it. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, Amy Adams turns out, yeah, she's a very unreliable narrator. But I also wasn't enjoying being around her. It's like, yes, she she has agoraphobia She just doesn't want to go outside. Having a hard time with that. Pretty antisocial person overall. You know, sympathetic to that. But I also don't want to hang out with her. Like, I think she. she, It it was just. It was just tough hang, and having like you know like like there's not like the twists or anything that's surprising right yeah like you know regarding everything like anthony mackie for example it's like okay that's cool but like there's nothing like it's not changing the character right and then you, it, it all goes up uh, wraps up with this set piece of sorts a physical confrontation and i was like okay i guess we got to this point but uh it just it just kind of felt like going through the motions the entire time and amy adams was doing her like doing her best i guess like she was okay i don't think the material is really her fault i don't think anyone's fault it's really in like a lot of the parts are like really weak like gary oldman pretty one note as a like uh domineering uh, unlikable perhaps violent uh you know dad figure yeah. like it's Okay, like it's all it's all super simple, super straightforward. At the end of the day, despite all these attempts at misdirection because of the unreliable narrator,
0: yeah. And, and then the action at the end um, felt almost like cartoonish in a sense. Like it felt a little bit like watching Scream, um, which you know, for those who haven't watched Scream, like part of it is it's like it's supposed to be a, a satire in a way of horror movies, so the action is comical, you know, like the scream guy gets kicked and he falls down flight of stairs, he swings and misses and spins around. Like it's kind of slapsticky. And I felt that way like in that in the climax between um, you know, Anna and what was it, Ethan was the kid, I think. Something like Um, that. Yeah. and and it just felt like I don't know. Like I, I wasn't really sure what they were going for. Like there was that one cut scene where like fake blood like splattered on the screen at one point and I was like, what what is this? It just felt kind of like weird and thrown in there. And I I guess the, the twist is that she actually wasn't that unreliable of a narrator because most of the stuff she was talking about was happening. Just no one was believing her. Um but you know I I guess I'm just like trying to think what happened in the movie that I felt like really added something. I didn't feel like showing us what happened between her and her family added anything like showing the car crash, showing the confrontation between her and Anthony Mackey as her husband. That didn't feel like it added much to me. Uh, I guess maybe when she was contemplating suicide, that felt like a moment in the movie where I was like, okay, the, there's something picking up here. And I, and not that not because it was necessarily suicide, but I think it was seeing her like grapple with stuff in like a real way. Whereas like mm-hmm. a lot of it before just felt like, what is actually like, what are they trying to get across? And that felt like the movie was moving in a direction at that point, but pretty, pretty listless in a lot of
1: senses. Yeah. Uh, reportedly, Tony Gilroy was brought in to write the reshoots, but you know, he can't save everything. <laughs> no. And
0: you know, it's sad because like you mentioned, a lot of roles that just were nothing like Brian Tyree Henry, just, mm-hmm. Goes up five times and asks a couple questions and is like, We're sorry. Like, we messed up. Why Russell gets to be angry a couple of times, but then gets murked and I guess comes back from the dead to grab Ethan's ankle. Which I yeah, yeah. So strange thing. You know, like, it's just like, why have these characters playing these small roles?
1: Yeah. Moore, most like most thankless for sure. Right. Totally. Yeah. I think she's probably the best of the bunch in terms of like leaving an impression, but. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I think probably the thing that's I'm uh, most interested about anything regarding this movie is that uh, the director, uh, oh, sorry, the, the writer of the novel the movie is adapted from, uh, Daniel Mallory writes under A.J. Finn. He's actually a very like controversial figure in the literary world for uh, extensive like lying and um, misdirection about his personal life for for you know advancing his career. It's like a really long and honestly excellent read. Uh, in the New Yorker about this controversy and how it was unveiled and whatnot. Hmm. And uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is actually going to be playing him in an upcoming TV series, which I, I don't know. I guess that kind of feels like you're rewarding uh, bad behavior to get Jake Gyllenhaal playing you so soon, but alas, you know, maybe that'll lend itself to something because clearly uh, this adaptation of his book uh, did not go so well.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll be talking more about that show if it warrants it, but I think let's uh, let's move on and wrap up with uh, another movie. You know, if if I told you we get a Taylor Sheridan flick starring An- Angelina Jolie, you'd probably be like, all right, let's let's do this. It sounds awesome. And I think this one is a little bit better than Woman in the
1: Window, right? Yeah. 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 Totally. Totally. <laughs> um, I'm just happy to see Angelina Jolie acting, dog. I agree. Like, go look at her credits the past 10 years. It's mainly her directing. I think she directed herself once or twice. But other than that, it's really like some like franchise obligations like Maleficent 2 and voice work. She has not really been around all that much. We know she'll be in Eternals coming up, which is very exciting. But, you know, she hasn't been around all that much. I know some of that's attributed to her just, you know, raising her family. She's got a lot of kids and Mm -hmm. trying to be, you know, develop herself as a director. She's made a lot of movies at this point, but it's kind of disappointing to see Angelina Jolie like take that s- step back when she was only like, I think, 35 or so, you know, she's only 45 now. Like it's she's and she's still she still looks you know, amazing. So it's not like Hollywood mm-hmm. is like, oh, no, you're too ugly now as an old lady. We can't cast you anymore. It's not even that Hollywood bullshit. I just I I, I think it's probably just a lot of her own personal choice if I have to have to imagine. But either way, this is kind of a traditional like, you know, adult drama star vehicle sort of thing. And yeah, I'm happy to see that, of course, especially when it's from someone I'm always interested in, like Taylor Sheridan. For sure. And uh, I totally agree. I think seeing her back on the screen is
0: definitely the thing I found most intriguing. And I think what I enjoyed most in this movie, apart from uh, obviously Aiden Gillian and uh, Nicholas Holt, just uh, <laughs> yeah. being, you know, killers, assassins, this, I thought they were great, um, but Yeah, you know, it's when when we think about Taylor Sheridan, I guess like and I guess this is where I also was most interested. I think he's a filmmaker who has really come on the scene and just kind of like taken the film world by storm as like a creator, right? Like Sicario Mm -hmm. um, as a writer, just crushed it. Hell or High Water, another script he wrote. Absolutely crushed it and nominated uh, every major award that yep. season. Um Yellowstone, which he's created, directed, produced. Mm-hmm. One of the most successful shows that we just don't talk about.
1: On here. Yeah, like it's, it's the anchor of the Paramount Network I and mean, hugely popular, popular show. No question. So and
0: he's yeah, oh, he's just been dominating recently. And, you know, uh, Sicario de la Soldado. We're like it's a action hero movie in reality, <laughs> but like it was still entertaining.
1: Yeah, don't um, forget without... his directorial debut, Win Win River. Though I think Win River is right. quite quite special, and that's um the second of his three John burnthal collapse. Of course, John burnthal also in this film.
0: Mm-hmm. And he recently wrote for another movie we talked about, Without Remorse. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, having sicario and without remorse being you know the two most recent things he's written on there's a little bit of like a something's going on here those who wish me dead i i think is not necessarily in the same you know place as like without remorse i think there's a a little bit more here and you can see a lot of the same like sheridan touches and connections but i definitely don't think it's up there with Something like Heller High Water, Zicaria, no. Wind River. So it,
1: it's kind of mid for him, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, tell Sheridan, he seems to be working and writing nonstop. He's very in demand, and I think his obligations regarding Yellowstone probably take up a lot of his time as well. But this still has a lot of those trappings of Sheridan. Normally, we're out on the frontier. We're in Montana, you know, which mm-hmm. I believe um he has. He has a ranch. Out there, Yellowstone shoots out there, Montana, Wyoming. I forget exactly where each one of them is, but like this is this is the the realm that Taylor Sheridan likes to both operating creatively as well as also I think uh, occupy his physical being. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And what you know, this this one is funny. Like watching this, I think having seen the whole movie, I think I appreciated more. In the middle I was like, hmm. Is there like a mystery being unraveled regarding like why do they why are these killers being sent to kill this dude and then later go track down his son when they realize he has the information? It's like, well, what is that about, really? Like, is that a big mm-hmm. deal So some grand conspiracy that that forensic accountant, the dad, had uncovered? It's like, no, it's not something really about that at all. It's just kind of like a survival movie, both surviving from uh, your killers and also the elements. And, yeah. think, you know, there's some like metaphors about like how. The, the, the gigantic fire in the film is of course man-made mm-hmm. and stuff like that but i think yeah it's like at the end of the day it's kind of just a star vehicle survival movie in a beautiful environment and you're also chilling with a kid actor who's not that bad you know like he's not like getting in the way so simple i guess simple movie but still pretty entertaining
0: yeah, I would say the action is pretty good, and I think the the plot mechanics are also really interesting. Like having the the chase, you know, of Jack and what his name is, Patrick Patrick Blackwell, and Jack Blackwell, um, like chasing down the kid uh, Connor, and having to like get away from them while you're also have this fire kind of impending, like all these things kind of like clashing together. I think is really well-written concept and definitely is entertaining um but yeah i, I do think it's a bit you know uh, just like plot device to be like god you need to get this information to the news and <laughs> right Yeah, like, oh, we don't really care what's about tyler perry's going to show up and just kind of yada yada it real quick and then we can kind of forget yeah. about what's actually going on there um i i, I do think like it it was an interesting choice to make John Burnthal Ber- such a integral part of the movie, and I, I think Sheridan really likes him. I think Burnenthal's okay, but I don't really think he's like uh, like a star. Like he's not on Jolie's level, and I feel like that role could no. have used someone a little bit more high profile.
1: Yeah, he, it's funny. Like I I always have really enjoyed Burnenthal. He's also just acting all the time, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I see him, though, I'm always like, hmm, something with this guy. He's probably it- bad. And he wasn't bad in this. I was like, I know. Know. oh, okay. He's just a, he's a good dude, you know, protecting the <laughs> protecting the streets out in Montana. Yeah. All right, all right. You know, what I kind of in this. I can't used like Jolie and the kid run through that field. Maybe not having them running through a fe- middle of a field in a lightning storm that did not make any fucking sense to me. Yeah,
0: like, why the <laughs> fuck would
1: she tell him to do that? Why would she do that herself? That is the stupidest thing. Unless they're like mm-hmm. ducking to like not be tall." And get drunk by lightning. So yeah, you know that you're gonna get struck by fucking lightning doing this. Why don't you stick in the fucking forest? Like, yeah. What the fuck? Uh but maybe we could have been in that field during the day and seen like a nice moose or something, an elk. You know, I, mean, I could have used like a really good animal <laughs> moment in this because you were in a beautiful environment. And I
0: I did I not know. expect you to say that at all. I thought you were gonna be like, I could have used like I don't know, some like actor. I thought you were gonna be like, I could have used like Finn Wolfhard in the kid role or something, but like, no, you just wanted to see a moose in the background. I like that. It's great.
1: I did. <laughs> yeah. Um I have, ultimately I think a lot of survival survival stuff's a little you know, don't don't think too hard about it. A lot of it's a it, quite a quite a stretch. But um oh, sure. Honestly, Burnthal's wife played by um uh what's her name? Uh Medina Senghor i actually thought her, her stuff was great like both like just like the action set pieces that she's a big part of and also her, her relationship with burnfall like yeah i didn't expect that piece of it but i like that i agree i like the part when eating gillian's like you're facing it the
0: wrong way and she's like no i'm not and like turns the <laughs> gas with the flame on him and sets him on fire i thought that was great um yeah and then later on when she has the the, the sniper rifle and finally yeah. Him. I thought that was really well done too you know and there's there's something about just having like like a forest fire or like a big fire as like a background that just makes all the shots look so cool you know it's like he really can't like do that wrong a lot of time it's, it's sad to say because it's like obviously not good for the environment that these things are happening mm. but of course. Um, definitely looks cool in movies yeah
1: yeah. I was um, <laughs> yeah, from the jump I'm like oh, Ian Gillen and Nichols Holt oh Oh, they're yeah, they're up to nefarious shit. That is abundantly clear. Aiden Gillian, that's that's all he knows how to do. Uh, made me laugh. But yeah, honestly, this also makes me want want to watch uh, Only the Brave, which is that movie from 2017 about um all those uh forest firefighters that passed mm-hmm. out fighting like the Granite Mountain uh, fires like out there out west a few years back. That movie with like Miles Teller and Josh Brolin. And like Jeff Bridges, Taylor Kish. Like I remember like wanting to see that I thought the trailer was really effective. But I had missed that movie. And it's actually from uh Kaczynski who's directed Top Gun Maverick. So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go check this movie out because Taylor Sheridan's got me in the move to watch more Forest Fire stuff.
0: Yeah. Did um I'm trying to think because I remember there was like the comment that Brenthal's wife makes where she's like, and she's also your ex-girlfriend, or something like that. Is that ever paid off or is that just like a thrown in line like it. That is completely throw away. Yeah, wow. I forgot about that already. I thought there was gonna be something to that maybe they like nixed it. But then they have like a very loving scene between Bernthal and his wife. So was like oh, nothing can come of this, right? But thought mm-hmm. I thought there's gonna be more there. Um yeah, I, I would give this movie like a I don't know, B minus. Like it's it's fine. You know, it, it's an hour forty, which
1: also was nice. I was like, Yeah. Yeah,
0: you know, keep it just it's happy concise. to be
1: chilling with Angelina Jolie. Like I'm not exactly. gonna be picky at this point. Like I wanna keep watching her act.
0: And we'll see her in Eternals. So, um, you know, you, as you were saying, look look through her filmography, hold it up. And she does go through these three-year stretches where she just doesn't do anything at all. Um, you know, from 2011 to 2014, uh, 2012, 2013, there's nothing. And then from 16 to 19, there's nothing in 17 or 18. So uh, just keep working, Angelina. We like you. You're, you're a great actress. So, I don't know. That's it. Why don't we uh, wrap up? What do we got for next week?
1: Well, next week we'll be doing our Drake album Ranks. CLB coming soon, so we think. So, a lot to talk about with Drake. And then then the following week, talking about a litany of things, such as Barry Jenkins' Underground Railroad on Amazon, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead on Netflix, uh, the finale of Mayor of Easttown on HBO, The Return of Master of None, New music from Black Midi and 21 Pilots. uh, The new pop superstar, Livy Rodrigo's debut album. There's a lot of shit coming out. And we don't like to miss anything. So, get to that shit.
0: Yeah, follow us at NostalgiaPod on Twitter. YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. Hit that subscribe button. SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod to listen to it any other way you want to. And also, follow our Nostalgia Best of 2021 playlist on spotify which will be updated with songs from st vincent and j cole and georgia smith after our reviews today we'll see you next week